When I graduated from college, there was a year between when I graduated from college and when Karina and I got married. And during that year, I lived in a three-bedroom apartment with five roommates. So a lot of guys in one apartment. And one of the things, in looking back on it, one of the things that we did is we all bought our own food, and we all kept our own food to ourselves. So anything that I bought was mine. Anything that any roommate bought was, was his. We just kind of knew this. I don't think we always labeled our food, but you just know if you didn't buy that, you shouldn't be eating it. Now, it's funny looking back that I was possessive over the food that I had because I didn't have a lot. I think I had some cans of soup. I had some hamburger helper, which still scandalizes Karina. She's like, I can't believe you're eating that stuff. Um, I had uh, some bread and sandwich stuff. I think I had milk and eggs. I don't know. I had some different things. But whatever it was, what was mine was mine. Now, things changed really dramatically when Karina and I got married, not just because she went and bought, you know, actual food for us, but also because from that point on, for the next 17 years that I've lived, I haven't lived in a context where I have my food and the others in the household have their food. We have common food. Whatever's in the refrigerator, whatever's in the cupboard, some of you right now are like, shoot, we still label our food. But it's okay. You can deal with that afterwards. You're like, don't touch my cookies. <laughs> now the food is just there. The food is there for all of us. Whoever needs it, whoever wants it, at mealtime, if somebody's sick, then they're going to get certain kinds of food. The food is there, not for each of us to have our own, but the food is there to share with anybody that has need. And we're in our second week now of this series as we're talking about spiritual gifts. We're calling this series, You Have a Gift. And that's important because one of the things that we're communicating through the scriptures is that spiritual gifts are not just for those who are up front or for those that have a gift that's showy and noticeable. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a gift. And that gift is not just something that's meant to pump you up and make you feel good about yourself. That gift is given to you to share with the group. Spiritual gifts are common property. And we're going to walk through a passage that's going to give us some insight into some of those gifts. So you heard me read the passage, but let me just kind of give the, the overview of what we're going to do. The biggest section in our passage is verses 8 through 10, where the Apostle Paul names nine gifts. So we will spend some time walking through those nine gifts and trying to understand what they are. But, but he has a before and after he gets to the gifts. He has a verse before where he talks about the purpose of the gifts. Then he moves into that explanation or the examples. Here's what some of the gifts are. But then he also ends the passage with an explanation of the arrangement of the gifts. He says, these gifts have a purpose, and here's a whole bunch of them, and then here's why the Spirit has done what he's done in distributing these gifts. So again, if you have an open Bible, we'll start in verse 7. We'll start with this whole idea, this opening verse that talks about, oh yeah, there was a thing I was supposed to say to you all. All spiritual gifts are from God's Spirit and for God's people. So remember that as we talk. There you go. Verse 7. We'll talk about the purpose of gifts. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You can see that ending phrase again, the common good. Spiritual gifts are common property. Your gift doesn't belong to you. Your gift belongs to the church. And by the church, I don't mean the property of Life Bible Fellowship Church. I mean, if you're a part of this body, the people of Life Bible Fellowship Church. The church is a people. Your gift doesn't belong to you. Your gift belongs to the body of Christ, to the people of God. But just go back to the beginning of this. Again, he emphasizes to each, 
And then the way that he describes spiritual gifts here, he says, to each, the manifestation of the spirit is given. And I think it's worth at least pausing here to think about how he is describing the reality of spiritual gifts. He doesn't just say, you all have gifts. He says, each of you has a manifestation of the spirit. Each of you has a way that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, Each of you has a way that the Holy Spirit is manifesting himself in your life in order to impact others. Now, if you've read through the Old Testament, you may know when the Holy Spirit shows up, it's a pretty powerful experience. In fact, some of you might be, um, some of you probably read the different Bible reading plans that we have, at least I hope some of you do, um, that, that we put out every three months. We've got a new one starting tomorrow. So starting tomorrow, if you're going to follow along with our LBF Church Bible reading plan, you're going to start through the uplifting book of Judges. Yeah, some of you are like, I'm not doing that. And I get it. Judges is not an uplifting book. It is a dark, depressing book. It's a book God has given us, though, and that's very important to understand the pattern of how we act and the, the powerful ways that God delivers. But if you read through the book of Judges, one of the judges that you'll read about is Samson. And Samson was a strong man with long hair that God worked powerfully through. The the stories of Samson are amazing. These battles that he won, that he never should have survived, they're amazing. And what you'll notice if you read through these stories is that each time Samson acted in this miraculous way, the passage says, and the spirit of the Lord came upon him. There's one story where Samson is walking and a lion just starts darting right at him. And the spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson and he rips the lion in half. Now, here's why I'm telling that story. It's not so that you can go find a lion. I'm telling the story to say, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does powerful, profound things. And the apostle Paul says, each of you has the manifestation of the spirit. There's a temptation, and we'll face this temptation even when we go through the examples of the different gifts that Paul talks about. There's a temptation to look at the gifts and say, um, well, there are the ordinary gifts, and then there's the the supernatural gifts. So there's the the kind of ordinary gifts like teaching and helps and and mercy and maybe even giving. Um, There are those gifts, but then there are the supernatural gifts that, that have to do with healing and have to do with speaking in tongues and prophecy. So we've got the ordinary gifts, and we have the supernatural gifts. And the answer is no. Paul is saying every spiritual gift is a supernatural gift. That person showing mercy to the needy people, that person is doing something supernatural of how the Holy Spirit is working. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. There's a couple passages in Acts where what happens, because God is doing something new and amazing, there's a passage in Acts 2 and a passage in Acts 4, where a bunch of people, not told to do this, not ordered to do this, go, they sell everything they own, and then they take all the money and they just sort of put it in the middle of the group. They just say, all right, we're the people of God, we're the people who believe in Jesus, here's all the money I have, my money is no longer mine, my money belongs to the people of God. Anybody who has need of it, you can use it. That's the image that we're meant to have with our spiritual gifts. We say, I have a gift. It's not for me. It's not so that I can get accolades. It's not so that people can be impressed by me. I am bringing it to the people of God and saying, anybody who can benefit from this, I'm ready to act in a way that will benefit them. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
And then starting in verse 8, Paul gives a bunch of examples. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the passage gradually up here. Again, if if you have an open Bible, you'll be able to see the whole list, which is good. But I'm going to put it up here gradually because Paul seems to kind of categorize these gifts. It's not just a straight list list of nine. Some of them kind of go together. And, And so I want to say a couple things before we start walking through the examples in this list and talking about what each one means. Um, So the first thing I want to say is that this list of nine gifts is not meant to be exhaustive. Paul is not saying there are nine gifts, figure out which one you have. He's saying, here's nine gifts. In fact, if you read Romans chapter 12, where Paul is making a similar point, he's talking about how we're all gifted differently. He names off a whole bunch of different gifts that aren't named here. He mentions prophecy, which is the only one that for sure is mentioned in both lists. But then he also talks about um, teaching, serving, encouraging, giving, leading, and showing mercy. And then there's other passages in Scripture that seem to imply maybe there are some other gifts as well. Here's the deal. If you took Romans 12 and you took 1 Corinthians 12 and you added them all together and said, all right, it appears that there's this many gifts spoken about overtly, that still wouldn't necessarily be an exhaustive list. Some of you might be looking at this and saying, well, I I think I have the gift of hospitality. And then you're looking at Romans 12 and you're looking at 1 Corinthians 12 and you're like, shoot, that's not a spiritual gift. That's what I thought I had. It's not listed in here. And here's what I want to say. No, it's not listed in here. But is it possible that the Holy Spirit would move supernaturally in somebody's life to make them supernaturally hospitable to benefit the people of God? Yeah? All right, yes. So absolutely. So here's the deal. You might say, well, maybe my spiritual gift isn't even named in Scripture. Now, we don't run totally wild with this if you're like, my spiritual gift is playing video games. Probably not. That may be a great talent that you have, that God's given you, and that's fine. But playing video games is highly unlikely to benefit the people of God in some profound way. So you've got talents, you've got stuff that you're just able to do, that's all fine. And sometimes our gifts line up with our talents. But the deal is, if you're looking at this and saying, I kind of think my gift is this thing over here, part of how you can discern if that is how God is showing up in your life is to discern, is this benefiting the people of God or is this just something that kind of benefits me and makes me some money? So first of all, it's not an exhaustive list. The second thing I just want to mention is, as he goes through this, he keeps doing this pattern where he says, to one is given this gift, and then to another, to another, to another, to another. He's clearly implying the idea that this is not a matter of trying to collect all the gifts. Different people are gifted in different ways by the Holy Spirit for his purposes. And the the last thing, the third thing to mention before we walk through him is this. You'll notice as we walk through these, what Paul is naming here as the gifts, they're really, they're activities. They're not offices. And what I mean is he doesn't say, here are all the gift. Pastor, small group leader, Sunday school teacher, worship leader. He doesn't mention a whole bunch of official positions. He mentions a whole bunch of activities. So here's the deal. With any of these gifts, with teaching, with leading, with speaking in tongues, with all these different things, you don't need an official position at Life Bible Fellowship Church to practice your spiritual gifts for the good of the church of Jesus Christ. Some of you will. And and titles are fine. We give people titles with small group leader and Sunday school leader and Exit 83 leader. That's great. But don't wait until you have the title to start practicing your gift for the good of the church. Now here, let's start walking through these. So I have the first two up on the screen, and you'll see that they seem to go in tandem. The first two spiritual gifts that Paul mentions are 
the word, uh, the word or the message of wisdom and then the message of knowledge. Now, on the surface, you might say, all right, well, I get this. Wisdom and knowledge are different in Scripture. They're related. But typically, knowledge is what it sounds like. It's when you know things. And then wisdom is when you apply, when you rightly apply the stuff that you know. So that there's a slight difference between wisdom and knowledge. So on the surface, you might say, well, this is just saying some people are able to accumulate a lot of knowledge. They're more academic. They learn things. They know things. And then other people are able to wisely bring that to bear on life. And we certainly see that. But what Paul is talking about is actually probably something much more central. And the reason we know this is because this isn't the first time in 1 Corinthians that he's mentioned the message of wisdom. You can either just listen to this or you can turn back to the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 22. Paul says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom Christ has called, both Jews and Greeks, and then listen to this, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human beings and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And if you were to turn to the very next chapter, chapter two, starting in verse six, here's what Paul says. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom, the exact same thing, a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. And here's the core of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, we have a message that we proclaim. And it doesn't make sense. In his time, he's saying it doesn't make sense to the Jews and it doesn't make sense to the Greeks. To the Jews, it seems weak because we have a crucified Savior. And to the Greeks, it seems foolish because who would ever follow a God like that? He says, we have the transcendent wisdom of God that on first look doesn't seem very wise to the people around us. When Paul's talking about the message of wisdom and the message of knowledge, he's talking at some point, that you might even say he's talking about the teaching gift in two ways here. He's saying, we proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And part of that proclamation is just telling people the truth about it, telling people so that they know what the message is. And part of that message is then applying it to how we live our lives in light of it. So the person that that has the gift of the message of knowledge might be a person who's especially gifted at making the connections in scripture and explaining the idea that the Lord, the one that we bow the knee to, Jesus Christ as Lord, he is the one who was crucified for our sins in weakness and rose in power. And the person might be able to make all kinds of connections and show in the Old Testament show the prophets and and show how this truly is the message from God. And then the person with the message of wisdom might be able to still proclaim that same thing, still still say those facts are important, but then may be, be able to bring it to bear and say, you know what this means? This not only means that we have a crucified Lord and we don't shy away from the fact that he suffered for us, But it also means that our expectation as his followers is that our lives will be marked by difficulty. It means our lives will be marked by God shining his light through us as we are gradually broken so that the light can shine through. 
Just uh, about, um, not this past week, but the week before, I got to be in Florida and go to a conference there, a preaching conference, and got to hear from a number of, of just deep men of God. And one of them was a guy I hadn't heard of before the conference. His, his name is Kerry Wesley. And uh, he, he gave this message on James chapter one, which talks about, um, talks about how we have joy even in our sufferings, even in our trials, we still have joy. And the reason it was especially profound is because he shared, and he, he really, he tried not to make this the main point, but he shared that he is going through cancer, going through treatments. Um, it's a pretty aggressive form of cancer. Things are, things are dark for him. Things are difficult for him right now. And he's in a lot of pain and in a lot of discomfort. In fact, this didn't happen until I got home, but they had given us one of his books also. And when I turned the book over and looked at his picture on the back, I didn't recognize it as the same guy. That this has taken a toll on his body. But the way that he walked us through James 1 was not just telling us, hey, they're suffering and our Savior suffered. It was him bringing to bear. It was this message of wisdom of him bringing to bear on all of us what it looks like to walk with the perspective of Jesus as we experience trials. And there was one, I, I can't, I wish I could replicate it for you. I can't, but I'll, I'll tell you the most profound point to me in the entire message was he rattled off a whole bunch of things of it. It's difficult because I, you know, I, I woke up this morning and I felt sick and I woke up this morning and my bones ached and I woke up this morning and I didn't want to get out of bed. And he named off all those things that were very real in his life. And then he said, and then I remembered something. I woke up this morning it was the message of wisdom. It was the message of saying, right now I'm suffering. And who wants to suffer? But right now I'm suffering. And the God that we believe in sent his son to suffer for us so that the greatest good that ever happened could happen. And why would we be surprised if God then sent his people to suffer so that people see that Jesus is worth it even when our lives are extremely difficult? This is the gospel. This is the center. And I think that there's a reason why Paul starts with this. And then he moves into three more gifts that, that appear to be related. Starting in verse 9, he says, all right, to another faith, to another gift of healing, and to another miraculous powers. And, and you can see, all right, at least healing and miraculous powers, you can see how those are connected um, towards each other. There are miraculous things that are beyond healing, but those overlap. And faith seems to be connected to them because faith is something we're all called to practice, of course. But faith in this context seems to be saying, all right, th this might be referring to somebody who is especially gifted by God to believe him for specific ways that he's going to show up in specific circumstances. So you may believe in a general way, God is going to do good things and God is going to show himself to us as his people. But this may be a person where God just reveals a little bit of something and they say, you know what I believe? I believe God is going to do this exact thing in this exact situation. And then there's a miraculous healing. And then there's some kind of power. Now, later on, we might be able to get more into this with stories of this, but I just want to pause here because there could be a temptation for us to say, well, Paul's clearly talking about gifts in his day. He's clearly talking about things going on in Corinth and going on in the first century because he's talking about miracles and he's talking about healing. And many of us can look at our lives today and say, well, I'm not sure. Is that, is that gift even still happening? Because we don't seem to see the kinds of things that we see in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we see all these amazing healings. We see these miraculous powers. Is that still around today? And what I just, all right, thank you, whoever that was. <laughs> I want to say is this. There's absolutely no indication in scripture that that is not still around today. 
In fact, if you talk to missionaries from around the world, they will have a very different perspective on these things than we do in the West. We tend to either be blind towards them or I'm going to say it's even possible God does less of this stuff in our midst because of our self-sufficiency and our lack of faith. God's spirit is able to do the miraculous constantly. And even if we went around this room, we would be able to tell different stories of how we've seen him show up in miraculous ways. This doesn't mean that God's going to necessarily gift somebody and they're going to put out the shingle and be like, healings anytime you want it. That doesn't even seem to be the way that he did this through Paul. But what it means is that one of the ways that God is going to benefit his people is by doing miraculous works and healings through different people in different circumstances. And now we we move into the last four. And the last four are kind of in couplets. He, He gives us two gifts that go together and then two gifts that go together. So he says to another prophecy and to another distinguishing between spirits. And these these gifts are in tandem. And if you were to read 1 Corinthians 14, you would see how they work in tandem. So a lot of times when we think about prophecy, we say, well, this is predicting the future. But if you go back and you read the Old Testament prophets, they did have times that they predicted the future. But most of what they told the nation of Israel was nothing new. Most of what they told the nation of Israel is, remember back in Deuteronomy, remember back in Exodus, remember back in Leviticus, this is what God told us, and now he's going to do what he told us he would do. Most of what the prophets did is they boldly spoke God's message into a particular context. And prophecy, especially as it's spoken of here, appears to be referring to that, that there are certain people who are gifted by the Holy Spirit to boldly speak God's message into a specific situation. And then Paul says, there's also the distinguishing between spirits, which seems to be referring to the idea that there's some people who are, boldly, who are gifted to boldly say, here's God's message to us as a church. Then there's other people who are gifted in a way to, to sort out, yes, that one's good, no, that one's bad. Because some of you might be thinking, well, that seems a little bit frightening to me that somebody's just going to get up and say, I have the gift of prophecy. Here's what God says to us. I'm just supposed to take that with any kind of discernment. No, we are meant to have discernment. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, if somebody got up, if, if we were having on a Sunday morning service and either the speaker or somebody else said, here's what the spirit is telling me to say to the church. Most of us are way too caught up in our money and our safety and making sure we're completely secure and we need to take radical obedient steps to generosity. I think if somebody got up and said that, I would be pretty hard pressed to say that wasn't from God. That's totally consistent with scripture. That seems like that probably is a message that God has for us today. Now, somebody else got up and said, I have a message from God too, and here's God's message. Um, Because he's a God of love and because he's a God of grace, he doesn't care about our sins. Don't worry it. Don't worry about it if you're sinning. Don't worry about it if you're kind of steeped in your sin. God will always forgive, so just don't worry about it anymore. We would need somebody to get up and say no. And the reason why we know that is not because we know exactly what's going on in that person, but because we know what God has revealed We know that God has revealed to us the call to the narrow road and the call to holiness. So the church needs people who will stand up and say, that is not from God. And probably even, I don't know this for sure, but probably even, I think in in Paul's time in Corinth, he's suggesting that there might even be people who are like, eh, maybe. Like with what was just said, we don't know for sure, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll take it with a grain of salt. 
So there are people who are going to speak boldly, and then there are going to be people that are going to help the church sort out what to listen to. And then the last two gifts also go together. There's speaking in different tongues, and then there's the interpretation of tongues. And this one, I think the reason why Paul names these last is because he's leading into a much bigger discussion that goes into chapter 14, because some commentators have said speaking in tongues is sort of the problem child of the Corinthian church. Now, here's the deal. The problem wasn't with the gift. The problem was with the people. The problem was that the Corinthians looked at speaking in tongues and they were like, this is the most amazing of all the gifts. I want that. People were kind of tripping over each other, wanting to use this gift, wanting to use it in public because it's a pretty amazing thing. Now, at a base level, what this is referring to, speaking in tongues is referring to the Holy Spirit moving in somebody so that they start to speak and proclaim praise or prayer to God in a language that they were never taught. Now, you see this happen at least three times in the book of Acts. You see it happen in Acts 2, in Acts 10, and in Acts 19, if you want to look these up later. Now, Acts 2 is the only time that we get sort of a little more discussion about what was going on. And in Acts 2, what happened was there was a festival for the Jews. And so Jews were there from all kinds of different regions and all kinds of different languages. And the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles and they all speak in tongues. And these people from these foreign lands say, hey, he's speaking my language. And somebody else says, hey, and he's speaking my language. So at least in that case, these weren't heavenly languages. These were actual languages. Now, there's other passages that allude to the idea that maybe that wasn't always the case. Maybe sometimes these weren't just this person is speaking French and they were never taught French. Maybe this, is, this person is speaking a heavenly language that clearly they weren't taught. And it's not a language that we would recognize in our world. Either way, what's going on here is the Holy Spirit moving powerfully for somebody and they're speaking a language that they never knew. Now, just pause and think it's not hard to understand how the Corinthians were all like, I want that one. That's what I want to do. I mean, that draws a crowd. That's amazing. That's, that's clearly miraculous. That's what I want. And then what Paul says is there are other people who are gifted with the interpretation of tongues. And what he's saying is not simply, you may end up speaking French even though you were never taught it, and somebody else in there is going to know French so they can translate it. What he's saying is, you may end up being led by the Spirit to speak in a language that you've never learned before, and somebody else in that context will be led by the Spirit to tell the whole church what it meant. And the reason this is important is because Paul says in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, what good is this gift? This gift might be nice to you. It might make you feel close to God and be a really neat spiritual experience. But if it's not translated, if it's not interpreted, nobody else really benefits from this. Now, just one more note on the speaking of tongues. Sometimes when we talk about speaking in tongues, people will refer to like a private prayer language between them and God. And a way that, yeah, I was just talking to somebody after first service who was talking about this in his prayer life, that he says, sometimes I'm praying and I just start praying and I don't even know what I'm praying, but it's, it's a very intimate, powerful moment between him and God. Um, and I know some of you that have shared stories, just, just some of you here today that, that have shared stories about that happening with you. And all, all I want to say is, if that is something that the Holy Spirit has done in your life, praise God. That is wonderful. The, the other thing is just to say, at least in this context of the passage we're going through, that's not what Paul is referring to because he's referring to something that would be done in the context of the church, that other people would be there to hear. And what he's saying here is, this is a miraculous, powerful gift. And what he says in 1 Corinthians 14 is, the reason you need both these gifts, the reason you need tons and interpretation is so that the common good 
will be had. So that it's not just one person who's glorified, but so that the whole body of Christ benefits from it. Now let's get into the last verse of this passage because Paul says something at the end that's hugely important. He's gone through this list. It's not an exhaustive list, but he wants us to know, all right, these are some of the ways that the Spirit shows up. And then he talks about the arrangement of the gifts in verse 11. He says, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit. Once again, all these, whether you have mercy, teaching, helps, tongues, whatever it is, all of these are given by the same Holy Spirit. We are one body, but we are many members. Then he says, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. What he doesn't say is, play all the arcade games, get as many tickets as you can, go up to that prize booth and try to collect them all. He says, you are given a gift and your goal isn't to collect them all. Your goal is to determine how you've been gifted by the Spirit to benefit the body of Christ. And look at it again. It says, he distributes them to each one just as he determines. The Holy Spirit is the amazing, miraculous arranger of everything so that the church can carry out its mission. There's a game I used to play as a kid um, that wasn't super, super popular, but, um, but now my oldest son, Matt, loves to play it. It's called Stratego. If you remember this, All right, well, it wasn't a top-notch popular game, but, but if you've never played it before, um, it, it's basically a game of capture the flag. So you, you have an army of, of pieces, and um, the, the, the opponent can't see which piece is which, because they all look alike, but, but they're la- labeled differently. So some of the pieces are really strong, because you go to one-on-one battle. Some of them are really strong, some of them are kind of weak. And you arrange all of your pieces so that you can get the opponent's flag before the opponent can get your flag. Now, if you're smart, you're very thoughtful in how you arrange these pieces, You're very thoughtful in protecting your really important ones or or protecting the different ones that have power to win the battles. And you're also very thoughtful in where you put the pieces that have special powers. Because there's three different pieces in Stratego that on the surface are the weakest pieces. Now there's the scouts. The scouts pretty much don't win a battle against anyone if you go one-on-one. But you know what the scouts can do? They can take a whole bunch of spaces at the same time, and then you'll learn where your opponent's pieces are. There's also the miners, and the miners almost never win a battle. They're they're pretty weak pieces, but you know what the miners can do? They can defuse. Yeah, there's like three of you in here that are like, yeah, Stratego, I know. (laughs) They can defuse bombs, and your opponent will always surround their flag with bombs, and the miner is the only piece that can defuse those bombs. There's also one piece. You get one of this piece, and he's a spy. And the spy is the weakest. The spy will get beat by anyone, even by a scout. The scout can only do one thing. If the scout attacks the strongest piece of your opponent, he wins that battle. And then immediately, they just take their other piece and kill him. The point is here, even with these pieces, you can look at it and say, well, I don't want to be a scout. I don't want to be a miner. I don't want to be a spy. Those guys guys don't have the same strength that some of these other pieces do have. But if you play the game, you realize, I need every single one of these, and you arrange them with wisdom. And the Holy Spirit has said, we need every single one of these gifts, and I'm going to arrange them with wisdom. Don't bemoan the fact that you don't have the gift that you think you want. Look at the big picture and trust the great arranger. 
Now, I want to do something else before we end. We've talked about this big picture. We've talked about it now for two weeks. I want to talk about some practical things that we're meant to do as a result of this. If we're looking at the big picture and we're saying, all right, all spiritual gifts are from God's spirit and for God's people, what are we meant to do in response to this? And what I want to do is I want to talk about a specific event that we're going to do to try to help us with this. And then I want to give you a specific calling that each of us can take. So first, we're going to talk about the specific event. So I have it up here on the screen. Three weeks from today, October 21st, in the evening, we're going to have an event in this room where we are going to dig into the spiritual gifts. Now, if some of you are looking at what I did just earlier and you're like, well, Dan, there were nine gifts and you kind of touched on them. I'm dissatisfied. I need more info. October 21st, we're going to be able to get into it. Not just the gifts in this passage, but the different gifts that are named, where you're going to be receiving an email either today or tomorrow that will invite you to this event. You can sign up for it. And part of signing up for it is also taking a spiritual gifts test that will hopefully give you some insight into what your gift is. Um, Now, a note on this, because I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are like, so a test is going to tell me what God says? You're skeptical. And you should be skeptical. The the, the test is not conclusive. The test is not authoritative. But the test is helpful. It's helpful for us to say, you know, we're going to give it our best shot. We're going to look back on how God has worked in and through us. We're going to think about the different things that we appear to be gifted to do. And that will at least give us a starting point to say, I don't know for sure, but I think this is how God has gifted me to serve his church. And then that's going to give you more guidance along the way. That's the event that I want us to want to invite you to. I know sometimes we do events and we kind of say, hey, if you can make it, go ahead and make it. This is one that I want to say, mark your calendar, be at this. This is important for us as a church body. That's the event, but let me also give you the call to action for all of us. You could end up coming to that event and you could even end up leaving with complete clarity on what your spiritual gift is. But you know what you still got to do? You still got to use it. And you're not going to leave that event with complete clarity on how you're, meant to use the, how you're meant to use this gift. So I want to invite you, don't even wait for the event to do what I'm about to say. If you want to discover how God has gifted you to serve his church, start trying stuff. Start doing things. Sign up and say, I don't know if I'm supposed to be serving in children's ministry. I'm not signing up for the next 20 years, but you know what? I'll sign up for six months and I'll figure this out. And if at the end of six months, it turns out that's not really what I'm meant to do, that's okay. Sometimes it's just order of elimination. Some of you might be like, you know what? I'm going to sign up to be a greeter. And then the next week you're like, it's clear I am not supposed to be a greeter. (laughs) But you know what you now know? That's one that you can cross off the list. That gets you closer. Even this event and this event that we're going to do, I believe that it's important. This event will not solve the issue of the body of Christ functioning fully. It will help, but what will solve the issue is if each of us say, you know what, I'm not going to stop searching until I figure it out. I'm going to keep trying stuff until God makes it clear, instead of waiting until I feel like I have the full answer. I'm just reminded of a story in Joshua. If you've read through Joshua, one of the things that happens in chapter 3 is God sort of does a crossing of the Red Sea 2.0. Says, all right, you guys crossed the Red Sea, God departed the waters, it was this amazing miracle, and now the Israelites are about to go into the land, and God wants to remind them of his power and have them have sort of a second Red Sea experience, and this time it's going to be with the Jordan River. 
They're gonna cross the Jordan River to begin to do what God has called them to do. And as they get ready for this, here's the instructions they're given. They're given instructions, don't wait for the water to stop. Don't wait for the waters to part. The waters will part as soon as you step into the water. This is such an analogy of the call to true faith, that God is calling all of us to say, don't wait until you see the waters part. Step in trusting that God will do it. Don't wait until you feel like I have absolute clarity and I can do this and make sure I won't fail. Step out with faith. The God who raised Jesus from the dead, the God who cares so deeply about reaching the world with his message is not going to hang you out to dry when you step out in faith to try to figure out how you're meant to serve his church. Let me go ahead and pray for us as we close. Father God, thank you so much that you've shown us grace. We certainly have done nothing to earn a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We've done nothing to earn your love, and yet you adopt us. We've done nothing to earn your grace, and yet you forgive us. We've done nothing to earn your spirit, and yet you empower us. We just, we're in awe of you. We thank you, and we thank you that you've gifted us, not just for our own comfort, but for the good of one another. Lead us to be a fully functioning body. Lead us to be a body where no parts are dormant or rebellious. Father, lead us to trust you so much that we step out and begin to try to look for the work of the Spirit in our lives before we have all the answers. We pray this in the name of our Lord and your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. (laughs) 